Amen. You can take your seats, folks. Thank you to Sam and the team for leading us so well this morning. And uh, it is great to worship God. Please bear with me as I drink a few drinks today. Uh, had a, a day off uh, sick today as the, uh, this week as the cold went through our home. Judy had a couple. Uh, she's still speaking. She usually loses her voice once a year. And there's so many things I could say about that and get myself into so much trouble. And I'm just not going to because I'm a wise, smart man. But uh, we are here today and rejoicing. Um, have you ever had someone ask you a question, are you in a relationship? You seem to hear it a lot these days. It's a favourite word uh, and it can come often with uh, lots of implications. Uh, depending on your marital status, when someone asks you, are you in a relationship, you might be tempted to answer, no, I'm married, <laughs> which uh, might be ironic uh, or true. Uh, but uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you might be really clever and say, of course, I'm a Christian, and to which the person who asked you the question might be thinking, what on earth does that mean? It's not meant to mean that we're more likely to be in a relationship with another person if that we're a believer, but that if we are a Christian and a follower of Jesus, we are in a relationship with God the Father and the Heavenly Son, Jesus Christ. So today's message is called How God Cultivates a Relationship with Us. That's where we're heading this morning and it's part of a a mini-series that you could say I started last week, uh, which I called Turning Points. If you missed last week's message, as I said, it's it's online. Today's might make a bit more sense with that under your belt, but um, the point last week was uh, we talked about how God grows our faith through pivotal circumstances. Sometimes uh, there are moments in life where you can clearly point to the fact that my life, my life changed forever at that moment. That was a turning point. Sometimes they're easy to identify. Sometimes they're instinctively drawn to those which we would describe as good. But there are other times when there are events in our life that are just shocking, awful, terrible, and... The inclination of us is to say, well, God wasn't present. God's not there. God can't use that. That was a disaster. God was asleep. I missed the boat. And and to downplay and to push away the events of our life that we would just describe as as bad or evil or or anything and, and not understand or accept how God might want to work through those. So what we did last week was talked about how God uses pivotal circumstances and turning points to increase our faith. Now, sometimes we're lured into a perception of life in this world that God's prime objective for me is for me to be happy. I mean, it's in the paper. Advertising tells me it's my priority in life. My happiness, my comfort my peace, my love, you know, uh, me having a certain pathway through life that's smooth all the way and rising, that's God's priority. I mean, isn't that why he's here? Isn't that why I believed in Jesus? Didn't Jesus die so that that could all happen to him but I could have a different life? And we're lured into this sense where God serves us and, and that's his priority for us. 
And we instinctively think, if all of those things happen to me, I'll be a better person. If, if I have a, you know, if I could just get hold of two million bucks, you know, my life's going to be, I'm going to be a good man. You know, if I could just get everything I wanted, you know, I'd be a lot less grumpy and, and I'd be easy to get on with. And I know I could just do God's will if, if only I had everything that I wanted at every moment that I wanted it. And we're, we're lured into this. But the Bible presents us with a different currency, I called it last week, that, that God's moving in a different exchange rate. And that for us to actually engage and become the person that God desires us to be and that the world needs us to be, we have to have something that's absolutely essential to engaging with him. And that something is faith. The Bible says plainly that without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Interesting combination, isn't it? Why would the issue of reward be introduced to this idea of relating to God? But the point is that if we organise a life for ourselves that involves no risk, that involves no suffering, as it were, that that we have completely minimised any pain that we might experience, and along with that, no opportunity for faith to be expressed and grow, then, friends, I want to humbly suggest to you today you might have organised a life for yourself that's not pleasing to God. I want to put that out there. Because God is saying to you, where is the opportunity for you to express faith? Where do you get to test your love and your devotion to me? Where is the opportunity to believe in my promises in the way that you live and operate? Because there's no wiggle room for me here to step into your space. And therefore, we come to resent inconveniences. We reject hardship. We rebel against evil. And we just dismiss it as an opportunity, as things that God wouldn't be interested in or involved in or working through. Whereas God is saying, I I am going to reveal myself faithfully in those things to you and I'm going to step into you, into your life and to experience through that. So the opportunity to grow faith and to test faith and to express faith is actually God's will for you. That's his plan for your life. It's for your faith to grow. If you're thinking, well, I've got quite enough faith, thank you very much, gets me to church most Sundays, we'll just stick with that if that's all right. I mean, I'm busy. (laughs) Then I'm saying to you, church, that there's a point at which God's saying, well, I'm going here and you're not coming. I'm moving here, but you're not following You've, you've planted yourself in this faith, limited faith experience in life, whereas the one that I live and lead and plan for you is abundant, is filled with faith. It does include risk. It does include discomfort. It at times involves suffering, but it is the way that you engage with me. That's the currency and the language that I speak. That's how you live a life pleasing to me, but it's also the life that I reward. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of living a life that God rewards, 
I think I want that. Like, that sounds good to me. Like, I can list off five things that I think I want now. But a, a life that God blesses and, and moves within and rewards, I think I want to live that life. I, I think I actually God want to be pleased with what I'm doing. I, I think I want to express faith and, and back up all the words that we've sung this morning, beautiful words of faith and hope and life and love. Well, I want that to be my daily expression, not just words I sing on Sunday, but I want my life to sing that by its actions. And so we step into this place where turning points, we start to interpret them differently. We say, Lord, gee, that was bad and I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that happened to me. My life's been miserable ever since. Why? Why? And we're mourning and going over and not failing to move on from all this stuff at times. And God's saying, well, why don't you look at it through the promises that I have given you and express faith and move on and through, not wanting to minimise some of the events that life sends our way, but not wanting to be stuck in them and failing to move forward in faith. So we talked about turning points in that way and we found them on a list that Andy Stanley had come up with uh, when he looked at things in a person's life that causes their faith to grow. Over many years of teaching about leadership and ministering to people, he and his team came up with that list. And in some senses, it looks a bit boring. It looks a bit plain. The last one looks a bit exciting. But God moving through those things to build our our faith. And... Uh, we talked about how turning points, pivotal circumstances outplayed and we used the life of Moses to look into that and say, well, how can God work through his life? How did God work through his life and and what was the outcome? Moses was a guy who experienced turning points and pivotal circumstances from the outset. Uh, his very existence was threatened as a baby when there was a ban on uh, all young Israelite children being born and uh, through various circumstances got into Pharaoh's palace, uh, then, you know, did something really silly, killed someone. <laughs> I recommend you don't do it. Uh, try and avoid murder. But Moses did. And it got found out and he fled. He just thought, man, that's a turning point. If I've ever seen one, I'm out of here. And went into the wilderness for a long period of time and just really was lost to life and wandering around and being a shepherd. And then God gets his attention again while he's out there. Another turning point. Removed from the life that he once knew that he was raised in, in that space God speaks to him and says, go back but you're going back in a very different way. You're not going back to stand in the palace as one of them. You're going back to stand for me and say, let my people go so that they can worship me. Now, we told the story of how, you know, God delivers them from slavery. And I want you to remember this morning as we talk about intimacy that the deliverance from slavery, the freedom comes first. You don't win your freedom by obeying God. Did you know this? You've already been rescued. <laughs> Praise God that he, 
he got me before, before I could fix myself up. So he rescues his people when they've got nothing to offer him. They're stuck in their slavery and he leads them out, but he leads them the long way. <laughs> you ever think God's taken too long? You know, couldn't you speed this up, Lord? I mean, I, I would have taken this path, Lord, and, and I know that I'm pretty smart and I'm just giving you, you know, if you could just speed this up and perhaps go this way. But God knows what we can handle. He knew his people faced with war would flee back to slavery. We're so tempted to go back to what we once knew sometimes when we meet opposition. Oh, Lord, if only, if only I had have stayed back there when we meet resistance, when we meet struggle. It's a big temptation. The, it, the Israelites experienced it. And he leads them, and then he leads them into a trap. Ever feel stuck? <laughs> Ever feel like you're in a place you just can't get out of? You know, you can't go back, you can't go forward. You've got this mob on one side, you've got this mob on the other. The kids are screaming, your spouse wants this, your boss is giving you a hard time, you can't make anything work, you are absolutely wedged and there's literally nowhere. You just, where do you turn? How, what can you pull? What lever can you pull to make this change? And God says to his people, you go this way and stand there and you, won't, you have the Red Sea on this side, the Egyptians are going to think you're trapped, they'll come out and you're at times thinking, Lord, you led me here. You're complaining. You're putting in a complaint. Moses filed a complaint to God. He put it on a form and said, I'm sending this up. And you're complaining to him. You're saying, you led me here and now I'm stuck. I'm trapped. How could you do that? And you're cursing at times the providence of God. You're not believing in it. You're not thinking God can deliver you. And you want to put in a complaint. Well, you stand in the place of Moses. He did that. And... When the Israelites get to this point, God simply, as we know, delivers them in a way that became part of their national history and will deliver you in a way that will build your faith. Back to number one point. God's looking for opportunities to deliver you. God's looking for opportunities to be faithful to you so that you can say, I have faith in him, I've seen him work. So you've got to go through some moments where you're in a spot where you think, I'm not going to get out of this. Otherwise, those faith lessons don't come. And at the end of it, it's all wrapped up, that story, as they're delivered through the Red Sea with this passage. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, which means they respected him, they acknowledged him. And they put their trust in him. That's the phrase I really want you to grab today. They put their trust in him. When they went through their deliverance, they said, God is trustworthy because we were stuck. We did not have a hope and God delivered us. And God's looking for moments in your life where you can walk through something and you can say, you know, because of how God acted, because of what happened, and now that I stand on the other side of this, I put my trust in him. I place my trust in him. God wants you to have those encounters, but folks, you're not, they're not going to be biggies unless the situation is a crisis. You know, if you're just saying, oh, my goodness, I've run out of bread. You know, oh, I bought some at the shop. I, you know, I trust God. I mean, come on. That, that's like, you know, that'll get you a bit off the ground. <laughs> 
But you know the big moments in your life. You know the big turning points when you really have to trust God. You know what they are. Most of you can name them. Some of you got a lot of them. Some of you are in one right now. And that's the moment you're going to say, Lord, if you do not deliver me, I can't walk out of this alone. I, I won't get through it. Everyone's got one of those at some stage and that's a moment when God wants to step in and show himself faithful in that moment. Not that he necessarily sent it, but he is present in it and he wants to deliver you. So the people have placed their trust in God. They've got to this moment and it's just like, well, this is fantastic. They're on the other side of the Red Sea. I mean, mission accomplished, well done, the Lord Jesus, fantastic. You delivered your people, good on you. Uh, just go on and do something else, <laughs> you know, like we'll move on to another story. What else can we do? No. So then the people get into this desert, this experience, and the, this is the point of today's message, is that God then takes them on a journey where he builds intimacy with them. He establishes his relationship. He's got them out of trouble, but he's not finished with them where he wants to grow his relationship with them. Hence the original question. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our message talking about today, God's desire for intimacy with you. Now, for some of you are thinking intimacy, like I don't know whether it's a bloke thing or maybe it's a personality thing, like the thought of intimacy is enough to make you puke, you know. Depending on your personality, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about intimacy, but... If it's a struggle for you, I don't know, think about friendship, think about mateship, find something. There's got to be something in your life that you like being close to others with in some way. But God is seeking intimacy. It's an incredible reality. Some people say, no, hang on, God, you know, it's the watchmaker God. He, he created earth, made people, and now he's absent. He's gone. We don't know where he is. He's a long way away. He's got a big galaxy. He's touring another part. We're just here. He's not interested in people. He does not interact with them. This is a miracle, but he's on holidays. That's called the deism. The watchmaker guy, you know, he's wound it up and now he's just letting it wind down. Christianity does not preach that. We preach a God that seeks relationship with people, that's engaged with them, that comes after them, that rescues them from their sin and then seeks intimacy with them. That's our message at the Hills Christian Family Centre and in all the Christian church. So God leads them out and there's a picture of Mount Sinai, what's called Mount Sinai today. Uh, I have actually climbed that, took about 10 years off my life on the way up and uh, it's an interesting place. According to, I think it's Exodus and Leviticus, Moses climbs it eight times, I think, or goes up and down eight times. You read it, up he goes, down, gets sent back down, gets an answer from the people, goes back to God. Get, mate, I don't know how he did it. He was, he was 80. Anyway, up and down he goes. So they're out at Mount Sinai and God gives them this. He says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God comes to his people after they've been delivered from slavery and says, I'm proposing an agreement. Here's a covenant. 
Here's a way of us relating to each other and I'm inviting you to step into it. And after God saves us, our relationship begins, but then he spends the rest of our life establishing it with us, through him and with him. So if you think, well, Pastor, I said yes to Jesus back when I was 17 and, you know, that's sort of great and I dealt with that and I'm glad that's out of the way and, you know, now I sort of go on with other parts of my life. That's not biblical. That's not the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. Even if you are in advancing years, and I won't clarify what they are because it always gets me into trouble. If you think you are, then you are. Uh, But, you know, God is still at work in you. You haven't reached heaven yet. You're not in eternity yet, as it were, and he's seeking relationship. He's building intimacy. And our temptation so often is to say so far and no further, but God wants to work within us. So not only are there turning points which point us towards God, but there's this desire to be in relationship with us. And he offers his people intimacy. He offers them differentiation and we're not saying that we're better than other people but I'm telling you you are different if you have the spirit of God alive on the inside of you that's why we witness to people not so we can grab them by the ear and say you better but we're saying to them would you like the living God to be on alive on the inside of you We witness and invite people to hear Daryl Stott or come to our men's event or go to DARE or whatever it is you need to do to say, would you like to be in God's family with me? Would you like to know what I know? Would you like to walk with the Spirit of God? Would you like to be God's treasured possession? Like, do you want the privilege of relationship with the good, good father. That's our message. That's evangelism. That's witnessing. Yes, it is saying turn from your old life, no doubt. But then it's saying step into relationship with God. Be part of his living, loving family. Be my brother or sister, literally. So God invites and invites them to be his treasured possession. They then go on a process, as I alluded to you, where... Uh, God says to Moses, their leader, I'm going to come to you and the people are going to hear me speaking and, you know, they're going to put, they're going to trust you. So he he sets up what you might call an intermediary. Uh, But uh, he encourages us and he wants us to build our trust in those around us, as it were, those who lead us, but also those, uh, him himself as he does and as he engages with Moses. When the people heard the thunder and the lightning on this occasion and heard the trumpets, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Now, when you read that, you might be thinking, well, that sounds like a smart idea because God can be pretty scary. But... I want to lay this challenge before everyone here today who's reading that scripture because you might be a person 
who when God starts to move close, you're starting to say, <laughs> yes. You know, like he's, the stuff the pastor's talking about is a bit weird. You know, just, uh, uh, you, you, you know, where's your, where's your wife or your husband? You, you go and speak to God. <laughs> but I, I'm not going to engage. And sometimes we're tempted when the things that God lays on us or that reveals to us and the momentousness of the relationship and what's involved and whatever and you want me to do what and, and I'm serving in this way and we, we push him away and we say, no, no, no intimacy thanks today, no, 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 no strengthening of the relationship today, no more faith talk today or this week or this year and, and we push him away. But God persists and perseveres. God is the good, good father and Friends, this might sound cliched, your best life is the faith-filled life with Jesus. You said, well, I read this in the paper and I heard about this online and I think I might try that. Well, I'm telling you, as Peter himself said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Your most fulfilled, most intimate most revealed, most fulfilled potential, whatever you want to call it, life, the life like no other is filled with faith and intimacy with God. There's, there's nothing else. There are other things, but there's nothing like having the living God thriving and alive on the inside with you. And sometimes it is heavy. We are steeped in sin sometimes. We are, you know, prisoners at one stage of sin and and estranged from him and our reflex sometimes is to push him away and to say no more. But I'm saying to you today on behalf of the living God through his word that he is a God that's seeking a deepening of his relationship with you today. I'm laying that on you. He wants your faith to go up because it pleases him, allows him to reward you and he wants the intimacy between him and you to go up. He saved a people out of slavery. He took them into the desert and he started to relate to them and say, this is what I'm like. This is what I require. This is how to be intimate and in relationship with me. I'm sure all of you can think of things that break your intimacy with God. All of us can. And sometimes it's a bit embarrassing or it's painful or, you know, things that we do and we think, that's not helping. That's not bringing me closer to God. That's not making me more intimate with him. That, that's, that's awful or that's rebellious or, you know, why did I get angry or why did I look at that or, or why did I think that or why did I say that and it breaks relationship. We're aware of them with our human relationships. All of us know that. Why do I say that? And, and now we've got to go through saying sorry and, <laughs> you know, now we've got to put it back together and it's affected our intimacy and all those kind of things. And it happens with God and God lets us know what they are. Moses said to the people this, and this is what God's saying to you today. Do not be afraid. Anyone here today that's fearing the faith-filled life, that's fearing more faith in their life, anyone here today that's fearing more intimacy, God is saying to you today, do not be afraid. 
God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Now, what does that mean? Some of this is pre-Jesus Christ, so we've got to read it through the new covenant lens. But what does that statement mean? I feel that what it's saying, I think the sentiment behind the words is that your faith to be strong and legitimate has to be tested. You can sit there and say, I have great faith. I mean, boy, is my faith strong. And and you can tell me and I can tell you and we can have a faith-affirming party. Oh, you've got great faith. You prayed that prayer and you read that Bible reading and you preached that sermon. Oh, look at your faith. We can celebrate all we like, but friends... If that faith is not tested at some point in time, it cannot be revealed as strong in and through that experience. It it has to go through something in order to be revealed as everything God wants it to be. And I'd love to wish you a happy life. I'd love to pronounce you know, peace and prosperity over you. I I hope I'm not sending trouble on you, but Jesus says we will have it in life. And so through it, we have an opportunity to say, God is for me. God is with me. I will walk to the other side with him and I will allow him to be my good, good father. I will relate to him as a child and I will receive and be intimate with him. And to do otherwise, to reject him, to say, I'm going to do things that break intimacy with God, well, it's to sin. (laughs) It's to push the relationship away. It's to deny the intimacy and it's to say, my faith gets me to church. My faith causes me to look at the Bible occasionally. My Faith causes me to think this thought about Jesus every now and again. That'll be enough, thanks. And we want to park ourselves and say, that's it. And the rest of my life will be lived in and through some other rationale or some other reason and go in a different direction. But God is a God that seeks intimacy. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Friends, I'm not saying that the invitation is for you to be a leader, although all Christians are to lead people to Christ. In that sense, we're all leaders when we have the Spirit of God in us. You must have stood in a group in your family at times or your home and you've thought no one else here believes in Jesus. Have you ever had that feeling? A few Christmases ago, the Blands gather in Perth. Uh, we've done it three times now. 1994, my dad's youngest brother moved to Perth many years ago. There's five Blands. My dad's the oldest. His younger brother's the youngest. He went to Perth. So we all said we should go to Christmas in Perth so he doesn't have to come over here once. We did it the first time in 1994. Judy and I didn't make it because our daughter was born on December 22nd. So we had to stay home. But we went 10 years later in 2004 and had a good time. And we went 10 years later in 2014 uh, after I'd become a pastor 
and uh, we're having Christmas in Perth. And one of my aunties rings me up and says, okay, uh, we're going out to dinner at a restaurant for Christmas lunch, but before we go, we would like you to say a few words. I'm thinking, right, okay, about, yeah, just about Christmas. Just say a few words. And then we're going to take up a collection for charity. I'm thinking, oh, make sure you tell people that wasn't my idea. It was the strangest thing. So we're all standing in the back porch of Uncle Alan's farm in uh, uh, house in Padbury, and everyone's gathered around. I'm thinking to myself, well, Judy was there, thankfully. Our kids were there. And I'm thinking, like, what do you do? Like, what do you want at this point? So I went with hope. I said, look, because of Christmas and what it stands for, because of what Jesus did for us, there's always hope. I just went with that. I just said Christmas means hope, that God is for you, that he's become one of us. It means hope. And for those of you who are friends with me on Facebook, you might have picked up that my second cousin was born with mitochondrial disease, I think it's called, where his development is severely impaired. He can't really walk on his own. He can't speak except a few words. He's now 10. Not that old, is he? And uh, it's had a big impact on my dad's younger brother and his wife and, of course, their daughter, who is his mum. And, you know, then we take up this collection and I'm thinking, I hope they don't think church is always about money. I feel like saying it wasn't my idea, it was my auntie's idea. I'll give it to someone in need. But my auntie and my uncle came up to me afterwards and they grabbed my hand they looked at me in that look, you know that look when they've heard from God or something like that, they've had an encounter and they said, thank you, that really meant a lot to us. So, some, so folks, you are a leader. If you carry the spirit of God, people are going to come and say, can you, can you talk for God, please, for us? Like say something on behalf of the living God, please. Moses was in that position, but now we all are because we've all got the Spirit of God. It's not just Moses anymore. But the question, looking at that quote, I want you to think about it. The people remained at a distance, but Moses approaches the thick darkness. Are you scared of the dark? Moses just walks into it. But there's good news. God was there. It's where God was. And sometimes to walk the path of faith looks like we're going to walk into the thick black darkness. We're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I don't know what's on the other side. I don't even know what's in there. How do things work in there? But yet the scripture tells us God's there. We walk into the thick darkness by faith and we trust God's there and he's going to deliver us through it. But the temptation is to remain at a distance. Yes, that is a temptation. The people, maybe most people just say, I'm not going in there. I'm not walking towards God. I'm not going down the faith path. I don't want more intimacy. That sounds complicated. I'll just stick here and I'll just front up and leave it at that. But the invitation to everyone, to all who carry the Spirit of God like Moses does today, is to walk into the thick darkness, 
It is a test of faith. It does require a commitment to intimacy. But the good news is that God is there. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. What an incredible reality that we're offered today. Can you believe that you would be called God's friend because you carry his spirit, because you engage in faith and intimacy, because you walk into the darkness, but because he's there. That's the reason you went in, because you knew that he was in there, even though it looked uncertain, even though it looked unclear. God wants to call you his friend. I'm going to wrap this up now as we move into a time of communion. I haven't left us a lot of time, so we'll get to the chase. The point is this from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, quite simply, that long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken through his son. Things have changed from those times. No more smoke, <laughs> no more fire, no more black clouds. Not really, anyway, only metaphorically. But now Jesus is the way to intimacy with God. Jesus is the pathway. Jesus is speaking to us today. God's offer of intimacy comes through Jesus so that we can access him and respond to him. And I'm asking everyone today, have you accepted Jesus? Have you received Jesus? And if so, are you pursuing faith and intimacy with him? Is that your goal in life, to walk as a friend of God, to even pass through thick darkness if it means getting to God? Is that your goal and your role today? Jesus said simply this, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14 verse 6 in today's pluralistic world, you'd be doing yourself a favour to remember John 14 verse 6. It's not a hard one. I am the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the Father, excuse me, except through me. He also said, you are my friends if you do what I command. What an incredible promise. What an incredible opportunity. But it comes at a price. It requires a response. The relationship is established by salvation, but intimacy, friendship, is through obedience. Closeness comes through following and not standing at a distance. The great promise of James, chapter 4, verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. You can't beat that or break that as a promise. Today, we're having the Lord's Supper and I want you to see it as an offer of intimacy, as an invitation to relationship. Yes, it is acknowledging Jesus' death, but Jesus sacrificed himself and offered himself in such a deep way, such an intimate way. Yesterday we got up. I often wake up before Judy on Saturday by at least three hours. Well, it's true. 
And when Jude woke up, I said, honey, do you want me to... Ma-? I turn out good in this story, don't I? It's, it's a good story. And I said, honey, do you want me to make you breakfast in bed? I only thought of that because it's like the Lord's Supper. It's bread and tea, you know. But Jude said, yes, please, that would be lovely, half uh, peanut butter, half honey. Is that what you're on now? She's down to one piece of toast. You, my wife doesn't eat a lot, but you all know um, that's how she does it. Um, I eat what she doesn't. Um, but um, it was an offer of relationship. It's an offer of can I do something for you? And those items over there are Jesus saying with his blood and his body, would you like to receive me? Would you like to be with me? Do you want to be my friend? Do you want to walk with me? They are all that he's got, his blood and his body. He expended himself totally so that we could be with him. There's nothing else left for him. He's given us everything and that is our invitation and our offer to intimacy today. And I'm inviting everyone here to receive that today. Wherever you stand on the walk with Jesus, Jesus stands before you and says, would you like to receive me? So I'm going to invite our team to come to the front. I'm going to pray firstly, but I want you to have that picture of Jesus standing next to that table and saying, would you like to receive me? Can I make you a meal? Would you like to have an intimate encounter and fellowship with me? This is what it means to be in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray before we ask our stewards to hand this out. Father, we thank you for the word that you've spoken over us today. We thank you so much for your very kind offer of intimacy, for your invitation into fellowship. And Lord, we see clearer than ever that it wasn't an idle gift but something that required everything you had, that You gave your all so that we could be with you. And Lord, I thank you for the offer of intimacy. I thank you that we can actually be your friends. Is it true, Lord? Can it be possible? But at times, Lord, we keep you at a distance. We say, no, no, let someone else go. Let someone else be closer. I'm not going towards the darkness. I'm not stepping into that space with you. And we keep you at arm's length. We do things that neutralise the intimacy. We, we sin, Lord, at times, and it breaks fellowship with you. But today, Father, because of the word that you've spoken over us, we want to receive you, Lord. We, we are going to say yes. We're going to say yes, Lord. We're just going to say yes. We accept your invitation. And I thank you for everyone that you've gathered into this place today, Lord. Some of them are feeling close to you. Others are not. Others have kept you at arm's length for a long time. Others haven't really said yes to you and and they're happy and they just say, well, that's it. It's not going to change. Lord, reach out to everyone by the power of your Holy Spirit today. Lord, cause everyone to accept your invitation today. Father, we thank you for your kind gift for the salvation that you won for us and then for the relationship that you give to us, we pray in and through the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen. While our team leads us, if the stewards could start handing out the emblems and items uh, to everyone here, that would be great. And I want to encourage everyone here today to receive the bread, receive the wine as Jesus' offer of intimacy, the gift of a meal, the offer of breakfast in bed. See it however you want. It's Jesus saying, will you eat with me? Will you dine with me? Will you be with me? Will you follow me? Wherever you are on the faith journey, whatever your situation, you're invited today to receive this meal, to take part in it. So I invite you, if you want to respond to Jesus, if you want to accept that invitation, you can do that now by taking these emblems. Thank you, team. Folks, I'm just going to invite you all to stand to your feet. Just as we were singing, I was thinking of, you know, all of the things that Jesus could have offered us to to actually outwork this memorial. But what he chose was a meal. Bread and and juice, simple stuff. Just the, the bread of life, the Bible calls him. And he literally said, I want you to devour me. I want you to eat me in the sense that you all become so close to you it's like digesting food we're, we're one and he offers us that level of fellowship that level of intimacy and I want you all to receive it today I really do I, I, I'm convinced Jesus wants to be close to every one of you and he just wants to step into that space this morning and just say this is all I've got says the Lord this is everything this is my body and my blood Take it and make it so close to you, so part of you that you can't distinguish it. We'll become one and I'll be with you everywhere you are. So I want to invite you, church, now to close your eyes and to hold the bread and the wine and to say yes to Jesus. Say yes, yes, Lord. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for your offer, very kind offer, Lord, that required all of you. Thank you. We receive now your intimacy, your relationship, your closeness. We will go with you into the darkness because you are there and you will be with us. Thank you for the gift of life and love. We receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen.